All right. Hey, gang. Uh, Chapo, it's Will Meneker here. I'm back. I'm back. Teacher is back in class. Time to, uh, to, insert, to insert some discipline over, over this gang here. But um, we're joined today by our friend uh, Jesse Hawkins, who I know I had to have on the show because he was one of the... Uh, one of the most uh, adept practitioners of movie mindset on Twitter. And in today's episode, we are going to revisit some of our movie mindsets of the past to sort of uh, put a nice, a nice sort of bow around the Trump era through uh, many of the films that we've watched. But um, before then, I know there's a lot of shit going on right now with the stock market. It's going crazy. There's a lot of investments happening. And I don't know, maybe you're feeling a little bit weirded out by this or like you don't know like what to do with your investments and things like that. So I thought I would um, introduce a new segment on this show where, um, you know, I asked our broker, the, the official stockbroker of Chapo Trap House, for some advice on like, you know, what's happening now in the world of finance. You know, this GameStop thing is crazy. There's a lot of cryptos out there. Robinhood. There's certainly a lot of things to talk about. So I just want to share with you right now uh, some advice from Chapo Trap House's stockbroker. So, uh, Chris, could you uh, just uh, the, the first clip that um, he sent in today? He's sort of talking about what's going on in the markets today. Man, 2021, what a start to the year. The little guy starts winning. Wall Street says we'll have none of that. Puts a hold on everything. You corrupt pieces of shit. I thought I was leaving Africa to escape the corruption. Turns out I was coming to the belly of the beast. You fuckers are just as bad, if not worse. And then what? You want me to go to school for four years, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, get a degree so I can come fuck over other little guys with you? Go fuck yourself. The system is broken and it needs to be fixed. The solution that I'm seeing right now, crypto. Show me a better one, fucker. There you go. I mean, that's that's that's, that's solid advice from our broker. I mean, like, what's going on right now on Wall Street is pretty fucked up. Yeah, Eugene Debs also said that that <laughs> Wall Street is as bad as Africa, <laughs> as corrupt. I, I, yeah, this guy is going to this guy is going to introduce his new crypto, a uh, Krugerand coin. Yeah, I just you know like, and you may be wondering though, like, should I take should I take an investment advice from this guy? You know, just because he's the stockbroker for a podcast I like, you know, who is he? And the answer to that question is he's a, he's a young savage. And he's taking over the fucking markets, and he's getting his bag. So if you're asking, who is Chapo Trap House's stockbroker? Roll that clip, Chris. I think he'll, he'll explain it to you. What up, guy? Yeah. So it keeps coming up. How do I get my bag, everyone keeps asking. I bought cryptos back in 2016, motherfucker. See, what I like to do is lead people on. Make them think you've got a couple of loose screws. That way, their expectations aren't very high. But as you can see, I move like Bezos when we're talking money. You really think I'm out here paying attention in my Zoom lectures? I'm fucking not. You best believe I'm getting the bag. Now I've been doing this for a while, even when it crashed in 2017, and everyone told me I was an idiot, that my money was going to zero, that Bitcoin doesn't make sense, and it's not going to be a thing of the future. But here we are, all-time highs, motherfucker. Forgive me if I come off arrogant, but fuck. The amount of shit I've had to take the last couple years, when Bitcoin came crashing down. So, yep, I'm going to let my nuts hang now. Bitcoin is going to $100,000, and there's nothing you can do about it. Whether I'm in the gym, I'm in the kitchen, or I'm trading crypto, it's 100% commitment. No bullshit. That's Monday, cousin. New week, new opportunities. Go get that bag. Go get that bag. You know, I mean, if you're, if you're not out there getting money in the stock market right now, you're not trading crypto, I mean, what are you doing? What are you even doing? You're fumbling the bag, mate. <laughs> you're fumbling the bag. If you get enough crypto, you get diplomatic immunity. <laughs> So yeah, this is uh, just just a little advice from our stockbroker on what's going on in the markets today. But I mean, what do you 
what do you guys make? I mean, obviously, like uh, uh, GameStop is 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 the big news of the week, and you know, is this is this revolutionary direct action that's going to like bring down capitalism? What do you think, fellas? Yes. <laughs> you know what? I mean, every other time someone has said that about something, uh, it hasn't been true. But I got a feeling that this one's different. Yeah, I I think we're due. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, yes. Um, no, I mean, like, this is this is nothing new. If you know anything about the creation of mortgage-backed securities and uh, the Solomon Smith Barney shop in the 80s, as detailed by Michael Lewis's uh, Liar's Poker, it's always been Reddit guys who figure out the market. Like, whenever you're, like, any, like, skinny Ivy Leaguer that everyone thought was a genius, it turns out those guys have just been moving around money to give to Jeffrey Epstein hmm. for the last uh, 30 years. You know, guys like Glenn Dubin and Leanne Black, who people thought were geniuses, it turns out they were just spending a billion dollars on a pedophilia and Mossad ring, <laughs> and then they were like, okay, we're holding you guys accountable. You can't come to work anymore. And they were like, ah. I get to keep it. the money, they, though, right? Did, yes, but... The real geniuses, and by geniuses, I mean guys who figure out, like, cracks in the system that uh, put off losses for somebody else somewhere down the line, are Reddit guys. They're big, fat, fucking, obnoxious, middle-class and origin guys who do epic food challenges and uh, prank each other and uh, use meme as a verb and, uh, you know, have a red hair dye wife who they have Game of Thrones sex with. Close their eyes and pretend she's Carrie from Mythbusters. Um, but it is good. The two guys that lost the most on this are Ken Griffin and Steve Cohn. Ken Griffin is a Chicago area hedge fund guy. Uh, he's the Citadel guy. He's a huge piece of shit, like massive school privatization guy, just every evil thing you can think of. Obama wanted him to be secretary of uh, education, apparently. Uh, <laughs> nice. And Steve Cohn, I mean, we've talked about Cohn before. He's the current owner of the Mets. But what I know Cohn from, from his days at SAC Capital, his hedge fund in Greenwich, uh, he tried to bimbo find an employee. He, like, gave an employee, like, a male employee, like, he, like, secretly gave him Estradol to research a company. <laughs> Which is, like, come on, man. You, like, can't do that. I just so, think, like- yeah, those guys, I mean, they'll be fine. Both those guys have, like, you know, 10 figure fortunes, but it is nice to see them lose a bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the, the way to like uh, just sort of um, contextualize the, the, the GameStop Robinhood debacle. And like, by the way, Robinhood, as of like, as of yesterday, they stopped um, trading all GameStop, AMC and Nokia stocks. And then as of today, they're selling their users GameStop stocks for their own good. They're like oh. taking stocks held in, in by the people who bought them uh, through Robinhood and they're selling their stocks for them because of market volatility. Wait a minute. Robinhood wouldn't do that. <laughs> have they been have they been lying about their whole deal this whole time? They aren't actually for the little guy? No, yeah, Robinhood started because Ken Griffin, one of the most evil people alive, was like, everyone should be able to buy stocks for free. Well, yeah. isn't isn't Robinhood's whole model like based on selling user data to hedge yes. funds before yes. they execute yes. like, market trades, so that they like mm-hmm. they basically have a, a an advanced view of where the market is going before the trades? Yeah, are and those executed. are the people yeah. who've made most of the money off of this whole GameStop thing. The real money has been made by like BlackRock and other 
uh, hedge funds that have the data and are like moving towards the action uh, because that that's that's uh, who always makes the money. <laughs> BlackRock BlackRock isn't a hedge fund. Um, oh, right. Black yeah, BlackRock uh, closer to a mutual fund company, but like you're not. They've made beat... two and a half billion dollars off. Right, of it. right. Well, that. that's it. that's <laughs> that's the thing. You're not. No one's ever going to beat BlackRock. Yeah, beating BlackRock, it's like, yeah, you're not. Yeah. You're not going to beat the owl of the book. Well, they will grow. change the rules because right. they make the rules. Like people talk about, they, they say, oh, uh, you know, you need to realize that uh, that Wall Street is just a casino. It's like, yes, but it's a casino where they are rigged all the games and where half of the people you think you're playing with are the owners of it. Yeah. The Reddit guys, they're like me when I go into the slots floor. And it's like as good as I do. I'm never going to do as good as the casino. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt, you said the uh, you said the other day I, I liked it where you said uh, uh, no one should be allowed to post about this GameStop shit unless they can explain the ending of Trading Places. But yes. Jesse, you, you you know you, like you can explain the ending of Trading Places. Break it down for us. Well, it was the it was the pork bellies, right? No, frozen concentrated orange juice. Right, and and there and the the uh, the Amici and uh, what's his face Ralph Bellamy were. The pork belly future pushers, but what? Well, no, they they were like commodities brokers, right? And they were going to corner the market on frozen concentrated orange juice because they had early access to a USDA crop report about how many oranges there would be in the Florida harvest that year, mm -hmm. and then they were going to use that to to get all of the uh, of the uh, futures at a high price. But then Billy Ray Valentine and uh, and Winthrop. Yeah, got in ahead of them and got it and f switched it with a different one that right. told the opposite and pulled that shit on the floor of the stock exchange too. Yeah. So what they so let me no, no none of you got it right. So what they were gonna <laughs> do is they were gonna make a viral tweet. They were gonna pay like a nineteen year old with like sort of like blue highlights to post like, yeah, y'all men who drink concentrated frozen orange juice are aries and and their abusers they have abuser vibes and then every trader would be like oh i don't want to be an abuser uh and no one would buy orange juice and then that yeah the important, the, the important part about trading places though in this scheme though is that crucial to the frozen orange trace concentrate um uh short they had to make sure that the principal from breakfast club is fucked by a gorilla it's yes. necessary and, and that principal that's the retail that's the small retail investor that that's what these big these hedgies and these fat cats are doing to us every day. That, that was like most. That was the most upsetting thing in the movie. A gorilla <laughs> would not sexually assault an adult human. It's true. They're human. gentle creatures. Yeah, they're not Even fucking what, dolphins. Yeah, dolphins are me too, guys. Dolphins yeah. are like predators and have abuser vibes. Gorillas don't. Gorillas, gorillas are, are the good man project. Yeah, yes. uh, like look at uh, how one of my favorite gorillas, Momotaro, treats his son Kentaro. Uh, that's not a rapist. I guess, like, just like the uh, uh, the way to think about all this is that I mean, it, it 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 like these are this is basically what you're seeing here is just like two parts of capital fight each other over who's winning and losing money at the moment, and like you don't necessarily have to uh, think that the, like this is all good or that one side is going to be like offer some hope for like a better like more equitable socialist future, but it doesn't mean you can't root for one side when this thing happens. And as far as that goes, how could you not be on side on the side of the Reddit guys against these fucking hedge funds for this shit? Yeah, because it's just yeah. like 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 watching CNBC over the last few days was like really yeah. funny, very telling because it was just 
it was just the breakdown in the simulation where they're just like, oh, like the, these these guys on Reddit, they're 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 manipulating the stock market, and like that's our job. And it's just like it's just yeah. like if you're a hedge fund, you can manipulate the stock market. If you're a fucking vulture fund, you can like use these momentum plays, which is what they're saying is bad about you know this this GameStop thing to literally tank the economy of a country like Argentina or Puerto Rico with like murderous real world effects. Like like they're talking about like people's lives ending because of this and like that's that's totally cool that's legal that's the market being efficient that's just like that's just, that's making sure our pricing mechanisms stay uh you know uh reflect reality but it's just this thing is like all we have now is the spectacle because you know as i think we've been talking about the show i think basically everybody understands that politics is over and there mm-hmm. is just basically there's only capital so when something like this happens and like the spectacle like breaks containment for like a few days or a couple hours. Uh, I think it's important. I think it's fun to watch it like rapidly try to uh, recreate the boundaries of what is and isn't is and isn't acceptable or like what is in, in, in the illusion and outside of it. Because it's just like, like right now, it's just like the way they were like just literally selling people shares of GameStop stock. They're like, oh yeah, oh, we can do that now. Yeah, you thought you bought this stock? Oh, actually, we're going to make it illegal to uh, buy a stock and make it so that you can only sell it. Like, that's normal. That's like a natural part of market, uh, the free market efficiencies. But it, it's just funny to like, because it just reveals to everyone that like what, what everyone already knows, which is that like stocks do not reflect anything like the real value of a company. Like, like game stock is still more accurately priced than fucking Tesla is right now. Yeah. None of this matches up with any like real world value or economic output or production or anything like this. It, it is all just a casino. And but like you said, like you're right, Matt. That's not even a good metaphor because like the house always wins in the casino, but like the house can't change the rules of poker while you're playing it. Yeah, yeah, that's more like it. I was thinking yesterday that it was like the the idea that I had was the boy who cried wolf of Wall Street. That for the last year or so, we've been told you know that it's not a problem when thousands of people die every day of the virus. Like there was a dip in the market for a couple of months, but then it popped back up. And that, uh, you know, there's all this stuff that you're supposed to accept is fine and that the stock market can handle all this horrible stuff that you're seeing every day, all this death, all this job loss. And then when some nerds uh, rinse (laughs) a hedge fund, everyone's freaking out about how this is actually a problem for the economy. And when you saw these these fucking ghouls on on CNBC being like, I think these people should really think long and hard about who who the victims in this is. You know, it's not just fun and games. And it's just like it reminds like I, I tweeted about this, but it reminds me of the. Uh, do you guys remember the controversy that happened when Fox aired the Magician's Secrets Revealed? Yes, and like oh, all the yeah. magicians <laughs> and magicians got mad. We're gonna kill like, that fucking guy. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, all the people at the LA's magicians' castles are like putting out hits on the masked magician who was like spilling the beans <laughs> on Fox, and like that's what it's like on 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 fucking CNBC or Fox Business when this shit happens. And like I said, it's just it's just it's just the spectacle breaks down for like like a half a day, a day or two. And then like it, it, what's funny, though, is to watch how like how how out of pocket things get when they try to reform, like the, like I said, redraw the lines and just bring yeah. everything in because like because they can't get rid of uh, all of it. Like they can't just say, OK, no more options trading because that's literally like how this whole thing is keep going. You know, that that's where the actual uh, momentum is. So they can't just ban it. They have to. Find a way to make it look like they're addressing a problem without showing it, just w- without just admitting, yeah, no, we are just specifically doing this to stop you regular fucking 
uh, peasants from doing any of this anymore, which yeah, is what you, it's actually going to be. And so it's going to be a delicate little dance to get there. It's like you weren't supposed to make that money. Yeah. And I, I, I get I, I understand it's kind of eye rolly when people see stuff like this and go, this is the revolution. This is the beginning of Americans like, coming to realize that they're being screwed and that the economy doesn't work. And this is the first step towards towards, you know, uh, some sort of revolt that challenges capitalism. And while that I don't think that's true, I understand why people go there, not just because they feel desperate, because, you know, in this post-political era, these kind of things, these over spectacleizations where people put to get too invested <laughs> in 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 this spectacle and uh, and that, as you said, breaks containment. That's what we have instead of any actual political ferment in this country. This is what we get instead of that. And so when we see it, we, we, we take it to be sometimes uh, uh, revolutionary because it's the only game in town. And like when the when these things happen, though, like for the for the brief 48 hours or so where these fucking vampires felt like the slightest bit of fear, it's things like this that are like the only thing that actually moves the needle. Like it's like it's not politics. It's not protesting. It's like really fucking like making them shake in their boots. And that's not to like shit on anyone who's like organizing or engaged in politics. But I'm saying is it's easy to look at this thing as like, oh, wow, like this is actually what matters in our society. And I think if you're looking at like the, uh, you know, any like political hope of this, like the only thing. I, with any like certainty you can really say about this is that like across the political spectrum like no matter who you are like most people when they see shit like this or they they, they try to like metabolize it in their worldview one thing is clear and that is that like almost every american would be totally fine or and just actively celebrate if like every hedge fund and wall street firm were parodied tomorrow mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i know i i just think it's like it, 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 despite the fact that everyone knows this to be true or would like actively celebrate a parody style event um of you know blackrock capital or uh, many other firms like them uh the thing is like none of those people have political representation like those aren't the people you vote for those are the people who run the republican or the democratic party so like it, coincidentally that one of the most major political feelings in the country has no representation or voice at all like look at janet yellen she yeah. made seven million dollars when she was like out of uh out of politics um giving speeches to firms like citadel yeah but she's an expert she gave them she definitely yeah. gave them seven million dollars of valuable information in her lecture to them are you saying a woman shouldn't be paid for the value of her labor? That's that's high key sus. Uh, just just one last thing though before we get into get into the movie mindset with uh, with Jesse here. I'm for, as long as we're talking about um, paying people for the value of their labor, uh, we talked about uh, Leon Black earlier. Uh, so apparently that hundred fifty eight million dollars that he gave to Jeffrey Epstein was just for estate planning. Yeah, yeah, and like if when the New York Times like runs that and is like. Uh, Leon Black under fire for giving Jeffrey Epstein $158 million for estate planning. It's like, do you want people to be conspiracy theorists? <laughs> like, do you really, is is that what it is? Is that what that costs? $158 million for fucking tax advice? And also, like, even, like, you know, in the New York Times article, they say, like, oh, well, that tax advice or, like, the, 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 the creative ways that he, uh, a state plan for Leon Black saved him, like, $2 billion or something like that. Even if that's true and that is worth $158 million, do you think billionaires like Leon Black, like Jeffrey Epstein, is like the only guy they can talk he's to? He's the only one who knows how to avoid taxes. He's the only taxes. one who knows how to avoid taxes. <laughs> it's not like, it's yeah. like billionaires. It's like their entire fucking existence is predicated upon knowing how to do shit like that. Yeah, it's like, no, Epstein's the only one. Especially Leon Black, who, like, 
came from a pretty rich family, had been in private equity for a very long time, had a billion guys like that at his fucking disposal. I mean, it's the same thing. It's the same thing with fucking Les Wexner, where it's like, oh, yeah, no, look, it's just a normal relationship where he gave this guy power of attorney while he was alive. <laughs> don't, don't look into it, citizen. And a mansion. Yeah, yeah, no, same thing with fucking Mr. I Bought My Wife, Mr. Glenn Dubin. <laughs> yeah, no, just a normal... Look, everyone buys their wife sometimes. Yeah, everyone, sometimes tries to, just... everyone tries to sell their daughter to their friend sometimes. Well... Like I said, uh, like by by Monday, like like every everyone who bought GameStop stock will be absolutely wiped out. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's the it's the coolest thing anyone has done on the modern internet. Like it's <laughs> fucking like, what do people on Twitter do? Just like dot at McDonald's and be like, <laughs> "Fuck you!" <laughs> like I don't know. Like I'm sure some of them are bad people, but like everyone's a bad person. Well, I don't give a shit. I I hope that like. Some of them made out well, and that they like can like get a cameo from the MythBusters. That they can pay <laughs> the MythBusters to like be at their birthday party. That would rule. Well, I mean, so moving on here, like I, you know, I mean, like the, the segue here is that, like, look, yes, like politics is over. Like there is only the machinations of capital. And what they give you is like the spectacle, like like that's what we perceive as like our culture, our economy, um, our the internet, like all that shit, like is just is just the, the veneer for just just money, just capital, and in a hyper normalized, hyper real world, uh, I I've come to believe that movies are in fact more real than reality itself, and like watching movies is a realer act than like existing in reality, like existing in this culture, and that through movies and movie mindset that we can begin to, you know, uh, to sort of map the constellation of the past and perhaps the future. And it's something we've been doing on this show, you know, and that's why Jesse's on the show. He is a proponent of a movie mindset, which I must stress is a, is a leaderless movement of which I am the leader. So, (laughs) uh, Jesse, like I, I want to have TM Will Miniker. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I wanted to have you on because a couple of days ago, uh, you tweeted out like a, it was just like sort of a, like a like a, a, a throwaway tweet, but it was uh, one that I, I started I couldn't help but think about for a while, and I knew I had to have you on to talk. Yeah, about I kept it. I kept. Uh, you 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 listed the defining films of the Trump era, and I realized that like uh, most of them we've done episodes on. There's a few that'll be like novel to listeners of the show, but I think like now would be a good time to like now that with the benefit of hindsight, now that Trump is in our rearview mirror, but before he's gotten too far. The object in the rearview mirror gets too far away. Yeah, uh, I think now would be a good time to 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 reintroduce ourselves or reacquaint ourselves with some of our past uh, movie magic in in an attempt to kind of to to uh, to to understand the auguries of of this hyper normalized world and the one that we're uh, we're heading into now in the Biden era. Well, my, my list is sort of a combination of of films that could not have been made in any other era except with President Trump, movies that were huge hits and struck huge cultural chords because of the fact that Trump was president and um, and also films that sort of comment on on Trump and can be read into. So for me, I think the one that is the most defining film, it's not the most predictable choice, perhaps, is Gotti. I have no doubt the other families will back you, but only if you have the support of all five boroughs, Queens, Brooklyn, Manhattan, Staten Island, the Bronx. 
And that's a fist. I think Gotti is number one. Well, we were we were big proponents of Gotti. We saw it in the theater when it first came out. You know, we heralded that film as the arrival of a, you know a bold new vision in filmmaking. And of course, I'm talking about E from Entourage. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, I had a great time seeing Gotti. Uh, yeah, so I saw Gotti with like someone who was dating at the time, and um, it was like a it was a ex- beautiful experience front to back. And when we were walking out. Uh, this like you know, just like Queens, like Gremlin, <laughs> like came up to us. Was like, how did you like it? <laughs> and we were like, it, it was great. And she was like, Dad, I tell you what, there was no crime in Ozone Park when he was around. <laughs> well, it, it, it is uncanny because yeah, Gotti and Trump are the same guy in so many ways, and the the culture around them, the people who like them. Uh, yeah. is so similar like they're two yeah. queen shithead psychopaths who never cared about anybody else or anything else but themselves and in addition to that we're not even admiral because they were good at what the evil shit they were doing like trump was a terrible businessman and Gotti was a complete dipshit criminal who got caught as almost as soon as he became fucking don but the thing is they were famous yeah. yes exactly, exactly. Was it. it was they were famous and that made them worth uh worship and, yeah. and, and, and that's all that matters. And both. And then uh, anything that happened like around them or in proximity to the time they existed is directly anything good you think happened is to their fans. Like it happened because of them. And anything bad that happened was people unfairly trying to sabotage them. Peasant it's like that, mindset. Yeah. Yeah. yeah These people woman, like we're all my peasants looking for a lord. And yeah, that w- for a certain type of outer borough dipshit, you see Trump and Biden, uh, Gotti, and you're like, oh, hey, we got the good uh, harvest because of this guy. I'm going to go work on his uh, freaking man over there. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Like, I don't, like, crime has been down since the 80s. I don't know what, that woman probably just means, like, visible black people. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, well, here in stupid Canada, Gotti didn't get a theatrical release, so I had to watch it when it was on video. And apparently, uh, the movie has all these uh, music cues that they couldn't spring for for the video release. Because I heard there's a oh, car- so you met West End Girls? No, Pet Shop Boys this is what I'm going to say. Is that there was okay. a car bombing set to West End Girls, and on video, it's some sound alike, uh, like not even a sound alike. It's like blues rock or something like that. A I was so mad. I was so mad. <laughs> Um, and well, so while I was watching the movie, I thought <clears throat> that this movie was basically marketed to Trump fans who love Goodfellas and The Sopranos. That I assume that New York City is full of these people. Yeah, like and like when I think about Gotti as like a defining film of the Trump era, like I, I think about uh, like the, the the people who that movie was made for and the people that it pr- portrays. And I think like the, this this was a vision of the people who would inherit America, like they would inherit the mantle exactly. of like managing the American empire. And it, you're exactly right, Matt. It is just guys like Trump and Gotti. And it, despite being a bad criminal, there is that he's a media figure that that Teflon Don thing. And you and you said that on our original episode about it. He was called the Teflon Don because he kept having to go to court and like was taken to trial over and over again. Like that's not a good Don. Carlo Campino <laughs> lived quietly in a fucking detached house for fucking 40 years and never saw the inside of a courtroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how Oscar, you're supposed to do it. Carlo Gambino's Oscar parties were also never, <laughs> ever, ever <laughs> in his life. Yeah. And um, another thing that's important is that another parallel between these two gentlemen 
is that they're both like infomercial guys, right? Like I think of Gotti's appeal as sort of um, the, at the end of the movie Gotti ends with a montage of testimonials from real people about what a great guy Gotti was, which is complete infomercial like uh, uh, imagery. Like you got to find people to like say this shit at, at late at night. This is not uh, who Gotti actually was. I think he was thought of as a as a great guy because he um, killed people. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's like it's like it's like uh, like like TV, when TV commercials for movies used to be a thing. Yeah, and then sometimes they would have TV commercials where they would be interviewing where they'd be out in the lobby out of the movie. Yeah, and they'd be like, "Oh, it was great. We love it. We love Gotti." And yeah, it's just like the sort of the 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 amateur the amateurishness of the entire production of Gotti, from like the presence of John Travolta to just like the the very poor like Scorsese pastiche yeah. that they were trying to rip off to the fact that like they cast Stacy Keach as a fucking Italian guy. From, and uh, Pruitt Taylor Vince. <laughs> Taylor Vince. <laughs> Two a, of the most <laughs> hayseed Scotch-Irish hillbillies on earth. There's an incredible scene where Pruitt Taylor Vince is having a, a rant and he just drops trying to sound like he's from New York. He just turns into a Louisiana. They should have had Clay Higgins. Yeah. Like, why not? not? You go get that. Okay, first you got that. You got that Brooklyn, right? Then you get that Staten Island. <laughs> then you get that Manhattan in the Bronx. Do what? Then you got yourself a stew going. You got yourself a Remoulin. <laughs> you need the support of all five parishes. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking I mean, about like, this. I'll uh, take you out to Lake Pontchartrain and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Lake Okeechobee. <laughs> That's how they dump the bodies. He's like, if you, I'll tell you what, you, you you kill some of them snitches, you feed them to them gators. That's how you get <laughs> you know rid of them down in Queens. You know what? You know what Gotti reminded me of? Like, you remember how like the last hour of the movie was just like this weird story about how the prosecutors were being mean to John Gotti Jr. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh totally, God, we were supposed yeah. to care. Mm-hmm. That we were was supposed like, to be really invested that his shithead kid was getting the business. From like the DA's office, even though they showed that organized he was a fucking crime. mafia member. He's a- yeah, that that was like that was like Obamagate. That yeah. was like it was the same thing where it's like, can you believe that Nellie Orr talked to Susan Rice about Glenn Simpson? <laughs> and it's just like so, uh, this core group of people like is deeply invested in these proper nouns that just mean nothing. But that's the confusing th- and boring. But that's the thing that's so perfectly encapsulating about Gotti is that. The end of that movie, we're supposed to get indignant on behalf of John Jr. because the cops keep prosecuting him. And it's like, yeah, he's a criminal. He's yeah. a member of the mafia. And that is the ethos of the Trump era. It's yes, you're supposed exactly. to, is, is people feeling extravagantly self-pitying uh, for things that are just direct consequences of their actions. Yeah, which is why I rank it at number one. For sure. At the end of Gotti, at the end of Gotti, there's like like a, there's sort of like a like an end titles that gives you like you know like it's supposed to be very profound, and they they talk about all the people whose testimony convicted John Gotti. Uh, they're like uh, they did it in exchange for immunity or reduced sentences. Yeah, like all the guys testifying to the crimes he did, like did it because their crimes are also caught and they were trying to make a deal with the prosecutor. It's like. We, I, I, mean, I understand, like, maybe that looks shady to you, but, like, all these people are crooks. Yeah. And, like, yeah, like, this is the Trump impeachment thing. They're like, they're like how, how dare all these fucking snitches, like, snitch on the president for doing crimes? Like, by the way, he's not a criminal, but stop snitching on him for doing all the illegal shit that he's been doing. Remember when, at, when, at, when the impeachment thing, the fucking Ukraine thing happened and Trump was talking about how, like, you know what? Uh, you shouldn't be able to use informants uh, <laughs> in prosecutions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That was awesome. My favorite, it also made me think of a forgotten Trump thing that I love, 
was how he used to brag that he did deals with the mafia. Yes. All the time. All the time. <laughs> I had so many guys in here. So many crooks. No, he said like when he said like when they were pitching him The Apprentice, they were like, oh, I don't want to have cameras in my office because there's a lot of guys in a family, if you know what I mean, who don't like to be recorded. That's such like a 12 year old thing to brag about working with the mafia. Yeah, <laughs> like, because he so thinks funny. it makes him cool. Stupid. And, and I just like the one last thing that I think like really some like sums up Gotti as like capturing a Trump era is like it, it is this kind of make America great again thing in that it's this romanticized portrayal of like the Italian mob in New York City at like the like, you know, near the, like, it's sort of the nadir of their power, like, before it all just came crashing down, in an era where, like, the Italian mob in New York City now are basically guys who were, like, accidentally setting themselves on fire to, like, because uh, they tried to blow up a guy's car over a $400 debt. Like, like that, yeah. like, that's all that's left now. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. like, it's, like, at this moment, like, like taking some of this, this grand, heroic portrayal of John Gotti, who was basically, like, the last guy who made fucking headlines. It's, like, no one, the, the, dude, the last time, like a New York City Italian mob guy made headlines, it was because a QAnon dude shot him in his own driveway because yeah. he wanted I to mean, change his daughter. Driveway. Also, like the American mafia was going to go down no matter what, but no one accelerated its decline like Gotti did. Yeah, like yeah. he really, he really blew it. Yeah, it's very embarrassing that actual Italians are do better at this. <laughs> they just have cartels, and we just yeah. have no, yeah, yeah, yeah we have we have stuff, yeah. We have, everyone in the mafia, it's like the Senate. It's also a gerontocracy. Everyone's 89 years old because they've been serving 40-year-long RICO sentences and all just got out. And they're all just, like, gumming each other over $40 bills. <laughs> well, of course, we know from we know why this happened. They were defeated by success. The, fu- the, 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 the peasant guineas who came over here uh, and became the mafia, they all ended up getting Tony Soprano houses and becoming just fat suburban assholes who just sit around yeah. the fucking club all day. Meanwhile, the people who stayed home and had to scrounge it out in the fucking uh, unindustrialized agricultural hell of southern Italy actually had to keep grinding. And so now when like global capital shows up to just smooth over all these things and and, and just annihilate all these like rent seeking uh, uh, anachronisms like these Fordist throwbacks like the New York five families who just get their shit wrecked. Mm-hmm. The the feral motherfuckers like the Southern Italians, like the Mexican cartels, are there to to just be assimilated directly right into the flow. But yeah. like every Tony Soprano dipshit's like, oh shit, what's happening? Oh no, because at the end of the day, you're not a real mob guy. You're not some sort of real criminal. You're just another fat suburban asshole like we have all over this country, who are essentially fucking farm animals <laughs> and have yeah. no uh, self self preservation instincts left. Yeah, the Camorra guys generally don't give a shit if they live or die. Yeah. And the American mafia guys like can't stand the idea of like not having air conditioning for That's weeks. why they all flip on each other instantly. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh hey, uh hey, I get I have to go to jail. I don't get to pick what's on the TV. Ah, not for me. <laughs> you know, you know uh gas pipe Caso? Yeah. <laughs> yes. He he did this awesome thing like after he flipped and they were sending his deal where he's like, This is a public service announcement. Never work with the federal government ever again. <laughs> they lie to you. <laughs> it's like, no shit, asshole. Who could have thought? He killed like 70 people. But he's like, I have never been more betrayed in my life. <laughs> the government lied to me. I can't believe this is happening. Yeah. You know, I was yeah. thinking about when we talked, when you mentioned that we were going to talk about uh, Gotti today, it actually occurred to me uh, that Gotti, I loved the Irishman, but Gotti kind of makes the Irishman obsolete. 
A little bit. Because yeah. what is gaudy if not the same thing that Tr- Scorsese's trying to do, which is to tell the s- traditional mob story that he has made out of his career out of, or part of it anyway, of, you know, but with all of the glamour, with all of the enticing elements stripped away. Yeah. And and leaving just this the grubby uh idiocy and and patheticness of the heart of it because that is but the the beauty of this movie is that e from entourage doesn't know that's what he's doing he's trying to make a regular mob movie i know there are these little moments where you can see that he's actually trying to make an actual movie and then there's all this stuff that you would never see in a real movie like in terms of just flat acting and uh just question mark uh dramatics like there's a moment where there's 15 minutes or so when Gotti's son dies and gets killed on a bicycle and we're supposed to feel sorry for these people. And then a few minutes later, they uh, reveal that like the guy who ran over the kid was, was made to disappear. They have a news uh, story about how he suddenly vanished. It's like, yeah, cause he's a fucking murderer. We're supposed to feel sorry for these people. Um, I want to say one more thing about uh, Gotti being very Trumpian was the way that it was marketed is very important as well. When it made, uh, I think it made a million dollars or something when it opened, but they, the Gotti Twitter account was incredible. They did this uh, video where they were like, audiences love Gotti, but the critics don't want you to see it. The yep, question I is, yeah. why? Yeah. And I, love the, uh, yeah, I love the idea of just critics like conspiring. Yeah. This movie's too good. You can't let anyone watch it. But it was well, like you can't it, let people they, know how cool John Gotti was. <laughs> but they I mean, said, it, but it, it, that does capture kind of a, a, a real thing, though, of the Trump era, which yeah. is like the kind of the revolt of the of uh, not the underclass, certainly, but like like the, the Gotti portrays a kind of regional bourgeoisie and like the, exactly. the, the way that like these sort of cultural elites look down on them or don't understand them. Like that to me is why Gotti is a, is a Trump movie, and like in the marketing of it and everything, it's just like oh yeah, like these these Ivy League film critics, like these you know like the these our, our cultural cakes. enemies, the don't, don't like didn't the, like the movie. Yeah, exactly. So like I I think Gotti, yeah, like as a portrayal of a kind of a, a regional bourgeoisie as like the heart of Trump's real support, and like the people who for him for them that he can do no wrong. But just if, like John Gotti. But importantly, they, the, the other thing they said was audiences loved Gotti. Critics put out the hit. Who would you trust more, <laughs> yourself or a troll behind a keyboard? Meanwhile, the reason why audiences loved Gotti was because they put up all these bot accounts to like give it a huge rating and vote count on the IMDb. They, they actually did forensics on it, and almost all the high votes were like accounts that had been made a month before the movie came out. And the other incredible thing about Gotti and the Trump era is that MoviePass was uh, an investor yes, in the film. It. And so they were nearly dead as a company when Gotti came out and their subscription model was already bleeding money. And apparently 40% of the tickets that uh, Gotti sold were from MoviePass entries. So they I were basically buying, but they were buying tickets to see their own. Basically, they were buying tickets for their own movie. It sort of mathematically works out that like they were basically paying for all the admissions to the movie that they actually invested in. That is no stupider <laughs> than Uber. That is no dumber than Uber. Yeah. The, the, all, the difference between MoviePass and Uber is that Uber also, by giving money to Uber, not it doesn't matter that it's not making money because you're, you're uh, arbitraging and undermining local regimes of uh, transportation and employment regulation, creating new technologies. MoviePass is just giving people free movies. That can't happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that, no, that, yeah. That's yeah. no reason to throw money into the pit. Yeah. I Do you think that, like, when they were 
uh, astroturfing the Gaudi campaign, they borrowed the Saudi that Saudi uh, like computer PR center where Trump touched the globe, the globe, the globe yeah. place. The oh, you, you, yeah, you look at all the reviews, and it's like great movie, even though the woman talked too much. <laughs> I didn't like the part where she drove a car. Yeah, that was they portrayed some really disgusting things as a part of mob life. Listen to his wife. <laughs> let her leave the house. There's a scene where he there, flies a kite. There's secular music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's this secular pitbull song. Oh yeah. In like a scene in like 1983. Yeah, there was a scene in 1983 with pitbull playing. It was incredible. Yeah. Well, that's he why because like John Travolta and Mr. Worldwide are like best friends. Like like pitbull yeah. is like John Travolta's guru now. He's the one who told him to bick his fucking big ass dome and stop stop fucking around with those rugs. And he was just like, oh, Mr. Pitbull, I'm so so grateful to you. Um, we should move on. So yeah, mo- yeah. Moving on to the, to the next one. Uh, uh, the, the next one on the list is is a movie that like it defines the Trump era not so much because of the content in it or the film itself, but the the broader like cultural media and political reaction to it. So Jesse, mm-hmm. kick kick this one off. Well, that would we're going to go with Joker next. Yes, it's got to be oh, the yeah. damn Joker. I mean, who can deny yeah. that we are living in the, a Joker universe now? Who can I mean, deny? Who, can you deny that Jokerfication is a real thing? And the idea too of the of the uh, has the comic book movie gasp grown up? <laughs> you know, like the idea that like it's high art that you know you can be uh, you can win an Oscar for playing Joker, and that the this movie is sort of has it both ways. It it's a movie about you know some of the problems in American culture, but you know some of the problems in American culture include us worshiping a fucking Joker movie, right? Yeah, and, and both sides, because there was also the amazing hysteria yes. about the Joker, like, oh, God, we cannot allow young white men to see this movie. And there would be there were actually cops posted at, at fucking movie theaters yeah. to prevent non-existent shootings from happening. Yeah. And that, it's like, this thing is so set now. Like, these these discourses are so set that, no, like, the house, talking about the house always wins, Everybody getting hysterical about Joker, not only does it raise the profile of Joker, it also validates the idea that Joker is some sort of powerful piece of art instead of being just hot, hot, uh, you know, just a fucking comic book movie. And I know people will say, hey, you said the Joker is awesome. And I do think the Joker rules. I think it's amazing as an examination of like how the Joker became this cultural figure, mm-hmm. like because the people making it are operating in this cultural context. And they're responding to what's around them. And that le- le- that leads them to, without trying to, creating a to- like a psychic topography of like white male alienation that is interesting. But we only get that now in the form of derivative, objectively bland in terms of like their, uh, you know, ambitions, a comic book film. Mm-hmm. And Jesse, I was amazed. I'd, I for, I'd forgotten or just never took on that. You said that Entertainment Weekly did not review the Joker. It didn't give a letter grade to Joker. Yeah. They made a big deal when Joker came out that they were not going to assign a letter grade for this film. <laughs> it didn't deserve because it's one? Just too, no, because it's too dangerous. That was, one the, that, that was one of the bravest things anyone's ever, ever Because, done. you know, if Entertainment Weekly were to give Joker an A or a B minus or, God forbid, an F, There'd be violence. There'd be violence and there'd be murder at the screenings. You know, it's incredible that they, that they, they, I would think that like Sallow would have gotten a grade from Entertainment Weekly, but like they're afraid to like give Joker a grade because they just don't want to be a party to this, this horrible movie that's going to destroy people. Yeah. Joker, Joker. Was Why the even perfect, review it if you feel that way? Joker was the perfect like 
culture war event for this time because it was like there was this huge moral panic about this thing aided and abetted by this thing that journalists knew about for like I'd say exactly three months prior, like the incel slash mass shooter thing that they like they do whatever children do when they learn something new, which is like applied to everything. They think everything's that (laughs) Uh, their massive culture war about it. The thing comes out like nothing different than the ordinary happens. And in fact, all this like mental illness and freak out, it was about something that's complete, like one of the most average movies I've ever seen, like not good, not bad, just like a regular fucking movie that had some good performances. And it was, yeah, it was the perfect story of the Trump presidency. But like in the same way like- that, tr- that Trump's presidency was, you know, policy wise and effect wise, like pretty much the same as like any other Republican would do, would be uh, the things about it that were unique were taken under this like just insufferable, cloying, liberal, moral panic. Mm hmm that it ended up having nothing to do with the core thing. And actually, like, yeah, no, just didn't mean anything. When you talk about, like, the moral panic, though, like, I mean, I I see the exact same thing going on now with, like, the way people are trying to uh, contextualize or talk about, like, the GameStop, like, people buying GameStop stock. It's just, like, any event or people... That like doesn't fit into this narrative, or like, or or or, or can or is threatening to like a kind of uh, like a, a kind of liberal hegemony. Like, oh, like that that's that's Gamergate now. Like, mm-hmm. like people who want to be the Joker, that's Gamergate. That's insult. That's like that's anti-Semitism. Yeah, there were, there were like, some, and, and and the thing that was interesting about Joker was, yeah, I thought it was like a very average movie that had like some performance. Like, I thought Joaquin Phoenix was amazing. He's amazing in everything. But it was like there has been this popular popular liberal thing that's like. Like a sort of, for lack of a better word, like a mania about mental health, where mm-hmm. it's like, um, hey, everyone, it's okay to cry all the time. It's okay to feel sad. We made, we made a special app that keeps you from killing yourself at your job. We're going to have, like, some fucking pedophile celebrity who makes $150 million a year uh, cry on camera for you to make you feel good about it. And then, like, this movie comes out, and, like, I do think it's, like, a sort of... Yeah, it's a very average movie that doesn't really say anything that profound or do anything that incredibly. But it is a movie about mental illness more than anything. Like, it's about what happens when, like, someone who doesn't have resources uh, has mental illness. And it's just, (laughs) it's like suddenly the liberal line is like, no, we need a watch list for these. We need to put like mentally ill guys who don't get pussy into Guantanamo Bay. But my beef with, with turning, turning like, you know, Todd Phillips is not Ken Loach, like to make a movie about, (laughs) about mental illness and what, you know, it's not Kathy come home or something. It's not going to change laws the way that Ken Loach used to do in the UK. Like he'd make a TV movie and then the parliament would deal with the stuff that the movie brought up. Todd Phillips doesn't probably give too much of a shit about it. Right. Right. And it, right. He, and it's like, I really don't care like what the politics of a director are unless it's like James Cameron and he's, they're perfect. But I don't think he's uh, trying to, but, but like, but yeah. like, but like he's, he doesn't like, you know, Todd Phillips doesn't make that up by being like an amazing director. He's just like an average fucking director. It's made an average fucking movie. But it's not but a, like, it's not so much a movie about mental illness. It's fucking Batman. It's the fucking clown prince of crime. It's the origin story. And he's riffing off Scorsese. I love the fact that Scorsese was like, ah, whatever. I don't need to see it. I saw clips. 
<laughs> that's fine i get it yeah um, but like yeah but like it's just in, in, in the way the way like i guess like the the sort of you know, liberal media or sort of like a like like can, like the can sort of consensus thinking has tried to sort of deal with like well why did trump happen and like one of the big reasons that people have set on is this this like this this sort of mask of this mass of young jokers in america mm-hmm. like you just sort of young alienated socially isolated young men many of whom are struggling with mental illness or like precarity who uh, just want to watch the world burn. And like the, the way that we're taking this on now is like not to be like, Oh, well, gee, like uh, maybe it isn't good for society to have such like a large percentage of like our sort of young male population, like totally cut adrift from like any buy-in to like stability or normality or just like having a life in this country. Like, Oh, should we fix that? It's like, uh, no, like they're the enemy now. Like mm-hmm. they're evil. They, they are the villains of our society. And like mm-hmm. they, they are, they, it's, and you know what? I saw today a guy in full Joker makeup of going to the headquarters of Robin Hood to protest <laughs> them for selling his GameStop stock. <laughs> so I mean, it's, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. Yeah, they are. No, the, these guys are. This guy, this my archetype is for the the like the new the new ruling liberalism that is now in charge. So now you don't have to just you know yell at Trump. You can now you're yelling at everyone else for not supporting Biden enough. Like these are the, this is the specter of of unreasoning evil that uh, Islamic fundamentalism was for the Bush era. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's it, mm-hmm. and it's like everywhere else in every other se- sector of life, you're supposed to believe that conditions cause pro- po- cause uh, a- bad behavior, and that conditions have to be changed, and that demonizing people is reactionary, except unless they're the Joker. Unless you're the yeah. Joker, <laughs> yeah. right, well, let's let's move on to the uh, the next film because this is a big one. This is this is the next movie is one that we have not done a movie mindset episode on. But as Chris pointed out, sort of similar to Casino in the Chapo lore, if you edited together all the times we've randomly talked about it on episodes or referenced it and stitched it into a single episode, it would be probably three hours long. And I am, of course, referring to. One of my favorite films of the last 10 years. I think a perfect movie in every regard. Den of Thieves. Yes, sir. Den like of classic. fucking yes. Thieves. Classic. It, it, oh it's a low IQ classic, but it is a perfect movie. And by that, I mean, it's, ex- it's exactly what I want from movies in that it is like yeah. just it has that dumb guy energy. It's dumb enough to be fun. But like with the performances, the direction, like the execution of it, like so much better than just a dumb guy movie. It's like it's, it's it is heat for the monster energy drinking set. Yeah. But like I like that. I do not see you know, that. Do you like know what denigrated? Do you know what I realized it in was? In any way. What I loved about it is that Den of Thieves is to me a cross between heat and Mitchell with Joe Don Baker. <laughs> <laughs> But Jesse, what is it specifically about Den of Thieves that like that that warrants not just that it's like a great movie of the Trump era, but like what warrants well, it is a specifically a representation of that moment? I believe that it's it's proudly derivative, which I love. Like it wears its uh, ripoffs on its sleeve, and it and it and it builds on things that we've already seen. Um, but it, it, the way that I thought about it afterwards was that I actually believe that a counterfeit painting can still be art. And that this movie is made up of a bunch of other movies. But the thing is, he took everything that's good about all that shit and put it into one movie and then squashed it into a new shape. Um, So it's a heist film that is mostly heat. And then in the last 10 minutes, it turns into the usual suspects. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. We won't won't give anything away. When I think about it, though, uh, 
in terms of like how it encapsulates an era. Like I think of like the figure of the the American anti-hero, the American badass, like the guy, like the the rogue cop who like colors outside the lines because he gets results. Damn it! Mm-hmm. I think about like like that American archetype and how perfectly encapsulated in the moment, Big Nick played by Gerard Butler is the utter like how how in, in by 2019 or 2018 or whenever this movie came out how utterly beleaguered and bloated and beaten down that dirty harry style figure in american lore and culture is yeah. there there is no better scene there is no better moment in cinema that like that just sort of succinctly sums up a moment an era of feeling in our culture as the scene where big nick the uh, the L.A. County Sheriff's the badass played by Gerard Butler comes home from a night of doing coke and fucking strippers, listening to uh, ever 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 listening to Everlast uh, what it's on the like. way home at five a.m. What it's the like sun is five a.m. in the morning, <laughs> and he's just rolling up. And there, oh, there's one other scene where he's just at his desk, just just chugging Pepto. Yeah, and like you can just see it, like you could see the alcohol pouring out of Gerard Butler's pores. Yeah. in that movie, it is it is such a vivid, perfect performance, but. Great role for Butler. Just, I was, I, I, I was sort of on the fence about Jared Butler. I thought he was like pretty solid, but like this movie convinced me that he is a grade A, a genuine bona fide movie star, and I, I just, I, I can't get enough. Butler. Sometimes, I, sometimes an actor has to go to seed before I start to like them. Like I, throughout the eighties, I didn't have much uh, interest in Richard Gere, and then I saw Internal Affairs, where he's like the high school quarterback gone to seed. He's still fucking lots of girls but he's a complete monster. And it was like perfect casting, perfect casting. Cause this is what happens to the high school quarterback. He, he, he puffs out. He becomes uh, just a rancid uh, person. And for Butler to suddenly just let it go, he gained 40 pounds for the role. And he was looking like Oliver Reed. Like he just, <laughs> he looks like he's winding, winded, just going up a flight of stairs, smoking cigarettes in an indoor gun range picking fucking blood spattered donuts off the crop off the ground at a crime yes. scene. It's just, he's an inspiration. Uh, like we need, thre- we need to see this ex-wife's new boyfriend. Yeah. Showing up at her uh, date with her, her new boyfriend to like sign the divorce papers and threaten him. He's an inspiration. I, I loved it. I loved him. I loved, I loved the character big Nick because it's like, he's it's sort of reminiscent of Gunsmoke in a way because Gunsmoke it, it, it's sort of like the first prestige TV show. And the interesting thing about it is it's sort of an inversion in a way because it's not about the big heroic cowboy who saves the day. It's about the guy who cleans up after the bad thing happened that he couldn't prevent. And big Nick in this, it's not like, Oh, he's the cool guy. Like he would never get cocked. It's like he does, but he like doesn't care because he doesn't care about anything, including his own life. And the only pleasure he gets is like scaring the shit out of her new boyfriend. Yeah. There's a scene I, where the main criminal, the, 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 uh, Merriman, Macaulay, the Merriman. Macaulay to, uh, his, uh, to his, uh, uh, Hannah, Hannah, uh, he, um, he gets his girlfriend to like honeypot Nick. Yeah. And it never means anything. No. It has no, no impact. It's, no on anything. Weird... it's like, yeah, I fucked, I fucked a stripper who was uh, but... the girlfriend of the fucking armed robber that I'm chasing. Big deal. But that was where the movie reached like, a nirvana moment for me was like there were no words for about five or ten minutes it was like him at the gun range him at the strip club him going home with the stripper and then merriman walking in and seeing him like having fucked his girlfriend i was like holy shit more more filmmakers should try to not talk yeah that's how i felt like just give me five minutes of incredible visuals please 
Yeah, like think, like Le Samurai, like yeah, Melville, yeah, like shit like that. Like he like Bedenethius is bringing that back, and like just to, to reiterate like my original point, it's just like think about the figure of like Dirty Harry in the seventies, who like represented a kind of a a reactionary turn in American culture, but a kind of like a coolness, like a kind of cool way to be right wing and a way to be a rebel. But like instead of rebelling against authority, you're re- rebelling against bureaucracy. Yeah, like that the is the new figure the, of the, oppression. The, the the vegan uh, Prius oh, driving incredible. Fed. I mean, it's like it, you wouldn't do that as a joke in a movie because it's too on the nose. But they're just so blockheaded. Yeah, uh, he's a fucking vegan and he drives a fucking Prius and he's gay. <laughs> but but like what, but it, but in Den of Thieves, it's like you take that character and filter him through forty years of just American decadence and decline. And there's like there's not even a bureaucracy to rebel against. There's just right, sort of it's like, just an annoying guy. <laughs> yeah, One just guy who's yeah, so like he's yeah. never, just a he, gross no asshole. Him. He's not thrown off the case. Uh, he sees no obstacles. He just has to deal with a nerd. And it that's yeah. it. That's his <laughs> yeah, grievance. Yeah. <laughs> But like I remember seeing, I remember seeing ads for Den of Thieves on like the subway, and I was thinking like, wow, uh, a fucking action movie with Gerard Butler and Fifty Cent. Oh, this is gonna be good. And then when I saw it, I was like, I'm blown away by yeah. it. Yeah, blown away. Yeah, it's it's, per- it's a perfect, it's a perfect film. No, I had a huge smile on my face. I I think I also I think I started levitating off the couch after the Benny Hanna scene. Can we talk about oh, that? Yes, so yes. good. That was so good. My favorite scene in the movie because uh, <laughs> because. Nick, Big Nick goes over to the crew to fucking like get in their head, and Butler is like, ah, yeah, you you at the you at the Pauly, hey, at Long Beach, hey, we played you, like he's supposed to be another like a Long Beach native, and that is one of the things that makes Butler such an alpha is his absolute indifference to not sounding Scottish. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm a Long Beach born and bred baby. And we yeah, beat you every time we played you on football, every time we did the caber toss, our team won. <laughs> and no, he I shows up you to Benny Hanna to fuck. <laughs> he shows up to Benny Hanna to fuck with Merriman's crew and be like, "I'm yeah. on to you guys." Yeah. But he does it by telling them that their high school football team sucked and the yeah. Samoans are lazy. Yeah, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but that was so. That was part one of me levitating. But where I really started to go, like a few feet off the couch was a couple of scenes later when they're in like a fucking job men's jobbers store, like old man shirts and shit. And like, they have a meeting in there where ice cube junior goes up to Gerard Butler and his crew. And he's like, why did you do that? Like, you know, you could have, I was like, what, why just the fact that the the director who, by the way, is the son of Victor Newman from lost, uh, from the young and the restless really, who has a cameo. Yeah. He's the, the owner of the German bar is, uh, is Victor. Oh, right. Um, but yeah, but so it's like just these incongruous, like scuzzy locations, like because the thing about L.A. is it's actually a very ugly and scuzzy city. Yeah, it is. And for this guy to by be day, like embracing by day, that. Uh, by day, it's hideous. Yeah. By night, it's magical. That, oh, that to me is the real genius of yeah. Los Angeles as a city. Yeah. But he was choosing very unusual places and and interiors to stage scenes in, like having this high school football uh Cock, uh, you know, showing each other their cocks in a Benihana. Yeah, no, you're right because it, it, it's an L. It's a very LA movie, but it doesn't look like the stereotypical like LA film. Like mm-hmm. it, it doesn't include like the locations and the shit that like people normally associate with LA, which is like the Hollywood Hills or Santa Monica or something. It's yeah. it's the really seedy, like blasted, like Southern California fucking like like desert shithole LA. The city There's of one industry. Last scene, yeah, yeah, one one last scene from uh, this was my levitation moment in Den of Thieves where I was just like my grin took me off the couch. There's a scene where uh, uh, 
uh, 50 Cent's daughter's prom date shows up at his yeah. house to like, you know, like go, go, he's coming to court and, you know, he's got his bouquet of flowers and he's getting ready to take, uh, he's ready to take his girl to the big dance and he's meeting the dad for the first time. And it's like, okay, well, if your dad is 50 cent, it's like, it's already pretty fucking, you're already pretty shook. So then like, he's just like, all right, let me holler at you for a second. And he's just like, takes him aside and pulls him into his like garage that he's converted into a gym. And it's this like 16 year old kid he takes into a garage with, I would say, no fewer than a dozen Samoan guys who are all like shirtless and fucking like sweating and screaming. And then he just like gives him like the, the prom dad speech in a room full of like fucking Pablo Shriver and like 20 Samoan guys. Yeah, it looks and just, like, like uh, puts San the Quentin. fear of God into this little bastard. It's like he's got San Quentin loaded up in his garage, like all these guys who are just murder on, on two legs. It's so good. But the other thing is I sent it to you right after because um, there was that incredible Marky Mark video where he was in the garage talking about. Um, oh, oh, yeah, fuck, yeah, yeah. Somebody came back. Oh, it was it was it was um, uh, Post Malone's yeah. plane almost crashed. Yeah, Post Malone's like, plane was... almost crashed. But it was like Marky Mark did this video where he was like uh, paying tribute to Post Malone and so glad that he was alive. But it just looked like that scene from Den of Thieves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Marky Mark has has a Den of Thieves garage, a home workout garage. And I love the movie. It's like it's about like yeah, like the like the the armed robbery crew, of course. Like they've all done serious stretches and like yeah, Chico, Sam Quentin, Lompoc. And then they get out of jail and then they just turn their garage into a prison. They're like, Yeah, this is what we like. <laughs> I'm never leaving jail. This is awesome. But yeah, I hang out with my friends and work out all day. There are rules. guys who just like being in jail. Yeah. Like they when they get out, they just turn their life back into jail. Yeah. But the the director Christian Petzold, the German uh director who made transit he put den of thieves on his top 10 of the decade list and i was so impressed agree yeah it was like he gave me the permission to put it on mine but yeah he and in germany it was called criminal squad (laughs) (laughs) that's great so he was describing criminal squad is a great movie man it's a great Uh, movie all right so uh, next film on our list this is a film i don't think we've ever talked about on the show this was a very very little scene film I would describe it as I, I love it. I think it's a great movie and I love the director and I'm excited for the big things he's doing. But I would describe this movie as one of the bleakest and most unpleasant films I've ever seen. Like one of the really nastiest, ugliest, like most vicious movies I've ever seen. And I'm, of course, talking about Craig Zoller starring Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn mm-hmm. dragged across concrete. This yeah. movie. I would say this movie is Trump era because Craig Zoller is like one of the few genuinely right wing filmmakers who is like an auteur and an artist and like captures a a, like a right wing, like a right wing point of view, but does it in a way that is not bullshit. It Mm -hmm. is like actually like a a, like a serious writing and artistic chops behind this guy, despite being, I would say, fairly reactionary in his politics or at least from what I'm gleaning from his movies, I would say he is somewhat right of center in his in his thinking. And 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 I for me personally, I like personally to engage with uh, films that are on the opposite side of my beliefs. And all I ask is for entertainment when I do so. And Dragged Across Concrete is pretty entertaining. It has an incredible um, artifice to it. It takes place in a fictional city called Bulwark, Bulwark, but it has its own transit line. It has its own uh, geography, and uh, and he did it on a very low budget. Like he he uh, manages to sort of stage it in any city USA or something, but he's done some work on the art direction, which I, which you don't usually see from filmmakers. 
I guess in Joker, they dressed up Gotham to look like 70s Manhattan. But Yeah, kind of. But yeah. But he also has all these incredible scenes where characters open up their mouths and, and recite op-ed columns. Like that scene where Don Johnson is talking about uh, political correctness. Yeah. I mean, like, basically, I mean, like, I, I can't describe the whole plot of the movie, but basically Vince Vaughn and Mel Gibson are two cops who are filmed on a cell phone video, like, abusing a suspect. And, they ha- and they're, they're put on leave, and, like, they are the... They are kind of like the downtrodden white man. Like, they don't get respect. They're repping the blue line. People spit on them. People hate them. They're, like, losing their jobs. Mel Gibson's, like, struggling with, like, uh, you know, like, he wants to move his family out of a bad neighborhood because, like, his daughter keeps getting, like, picked on or fucked with by, like, just, like, assholes on the street. And they take it upon themselves to, like, freelance in the time that they're, they're on suspension of, like, finding this, like, a, a, a guy they think is dirty, a drug dealer, like, uh, sort of trail him, and follow him to what they think is a big payday. Mm-hmm. And where it, what it leads to is basically the ninth circle of hell. It just leads to like absolute terror and, and degradation of the human soul. But interestingly, at the end of this movie, it has a very weird, ambiguous ending where like the, the only guy who, spoiler alert, survives basically by the end of this movie is like this young black guy who's like the drug dealer that they're trying to like stitch up and rob. And that he gets like the all he gets all the money at the end of the movie. And the last scene in the movie is him living and like moved his family out of poverty into like a really nice mansion. And he's like playing video games with his like younger brother. And like life is perfect for him. And it's this very ambiguous note of like, what are we supposed to think about this? Like, what's the director trying to say? Is he trying to rub your face in it? Is he mad about this? Or is he showing that like I I, I don't know, like that that, that that sort of the caprice of sort of fate and uh crime and death that there really is no moral order that you can impose on it it's just sort of things Mm -hmm. happen Mm -hmm. and sometimes like these people come out on top but just the fact that it starred you know angriest man alive mel gibson at a time when you know it's been somewhat toxic to work with him i think like the choice of casting mel gibson in the lead of this movie is also kind of a tell yeah he's a provocateur like he likes to push buttons and so casting like the two conservatives who uh who people take semi-seriously in Hollywood or have anyway. Because Gibson got, um, he did Hacksaw Ridge a few years ago, right? And that was the beginning of his yeah. return. But he's really good in Dragged Across, uh, Dragged Across Concrete. He gives a very good performance. He's a good actor. But it's difficult um, for a lot of people to sort of uh, engage with things that they, you know, they don't like Mel Gibson and rightly so, but he's a good actor. How do you reconcile that? And, like, the thing is, like, the movie is not, like, a rah-rah defense of, like, no. Blue Lives Matter either. It's no. a, like I said, it's a very, very dark and nasty movie that nonetheless does give voice to, in its two lead characters, a point of view that has become kind of anathema to even even represent as a villain in a movie. Because, like, mm-hmm. a lot of times in movies now, if you if you show a bad guy doing bad things, people get mad at you for, like, endorsing it or something. Or, or just like even portraying evil in a movie is considered evil itself now, and like yeah. this movie is very much cutting against that, and like it just it's it's going against the grain of culture in in so many ways. But like I said, is a very like and, and if like it's it's a movie that like MAGA shitheads would not enjoy watching because yeah. it's a very very it's, slow, patient, deliberate, and like very alienating movie to watch, and there is no big fun, cool payoff for anyone in it. No. Yeah, it's like 150 minutes or something like that. There's a two, there's a one or two minute scene of Mel Gibson just eating an egg salad sandwich in the car. Wonderful. That's you know. the thing that Zoller gets more than anybody who is trying to do broadly what he is trying to do, which is bring back sort of exploitation exactly. levels of violence. And the thing that a lot of people who try to do that, Robert Rodriguez is a great example, don't get 
is that the stuff that was effectively extreme in the 70s is now just part and parcel of all entertainment because you know things have gotten more extreme in every way uh, our, our baseline for things like cinema violence and depravity is much higher and so it's harder to get things to pop and the way that he gets them to pop is by placing hyper violence and exploitative stuff in a very restrained almost prestige milieu Mm-hmm. And that makes them more that that actually gives them energy. Like the whole the insanely uh, offensive to many sequence with Jennifer Carpenter. Uh, oh man, uh, yeah. Which is just, like, just like it's a it's a right it's like a short film that the like Prager you would make. Yeah, yes. no, it really is about like don't <laughs> don't let your wife go to work. Don't, don't let, let your, your wife, wife go, to, go work. to work. That's that's literally the point. But what that means is that when spoiler alert, her face explodes. <laughs> It actually is horrifying in a way that it's hard to make film horrifying now because people are just too inured to it. And you have to give the man some credit for that. I mean, he stops the narrative for a few minutes to get you to meet somebody and maybe like them and then take them away. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zoller is, is, I think, a pretty... A, 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 He's one to watch. I mean, I loved his first two movies, Bone Tomahawk and uh, Cell Block 99. And yeah, Across Concrete was probably like the, the hardest one to watch. It's like it's the least entertaining. It's the most it's the nastiest movie he's ever done, which is saying a lot. But I will be seeing anything he does in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Let's let's do some quick hits on the next one, because we, we are going over to time here. But oh, like, yeah, you know, sure. Next, next, uh, next movie of the Trump era uh, is Get Out. And this movie is a, a perfect reflection of the Trump era because it perfectly captures like uh, liberals' understanding of themselves in the Trump era, but no one got that while they were watching the movie. Like Bradley Whitford in Get Out is Bradley Whitford, and Bradley Whitford still tweets about that movie, like not yeah. understanding the joke that he's, yeah. he wasn't in on. And it just it got liberals to be like, because it was like a you know by a, a black director and like predominantly or like you know starring a uh like young african-american actor not african-american but he's from he's England, a brit but yeah he's a british but like you know it, it's a it's a black director it's like it's a you know sort of like a it's a it's about race and racism but it was a big crossover mainstream hit and it became kind of a a cultural totem for like liberals to be like oh i i like this movie i like get out i get it I, i'm not i i'm in on the joke but the brilliance of the movie is that, like, basically no one was in on the joke other than the people who made it and the black audiences who loved it. The essential satire in Get Out that I think a lot of liberal audiences missed is that it's not a movie about racism in the sense that it's about uh, white people who hate black people and regard them as inferior, although that definitely is there. It's about a certain kind of liberal racism where white people don't openly hate black people, but they want to be them so bad that they drive themselves insane. They know that they shouldn't want that, and they know that attempts to do that um, tends to dehumanize uh, the, the very thing that they're seeking to uphold or protect or speak for. But I think Get Out is a movie about how white people are driven insane by the fact that they can't be black. And that was, I think, the really smart, funny thing about it. Mm-hmm. I got pushback when I put this on my list from some libs who were like, no, 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 that movie's more about, or not from some libs, but from people saying, no, it's actually more about the Obama era. That that movie and it's like no, are you kidding? It was made while Trump was president, and the fact that it made 175 million dollars in the U.S. was because Trump's president, because it seemed like a political statement. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And, that movie would not have been the hit it was with Trump not being in office. 100%. No, hundred percent. 
And like, and everyone says like, you know, everyone understood that it was a, a smart, funny horror movie about racism in 21st century America. But I really think a lot of the people who were, who were gassing it up didn't understand that it was about liberal racism. It was exactly. about the racism of liberal, rich, white people who vote, like as Bradley Whitford said, I would have voted for Obama a third time. But like they didn't, they, like they, for them, like it's just still racism is just like a, like, like a Southern sheriff with like a piece of straw in his mouth going like, boy, you know, we don't like your con around here. And it's like, no, like what he was showing in that movie was the racism of Obama voters, of white liberals who... Who, who think because they voted for Obama, they're not racist, and now think that because they loved Get Out, they're also exempt from like the, the parody that the movie was portraying. Which was what's so smart about Get Out is that it anticipates the criticism in the structure. That like the, the, when, when people talk about what a great movie it is, they're like David Brent telling that black guy at work that his favorite actor is Sidney Poitier. You know, it's like <laughs> that they're rewarding themselves and they're, and they're hoping that you can accept that I'm a nice white person. I loved Get Out. I th think it should have won all the Oscars, actually. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, God. There was so much. Oh, it got nominated, which already was kind of pushing it. And then just, you know, Get Out really should have won. Oh, I'm very sorry that the Oscars are so white. They didn't give the yeah. Oscar to Get Out. But it won screenplay, which is the generally the, uh, that's the movie. Yeah, that's, that's the, the prize for the movie that should have won Best Picture gets Best Screenplay. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, so I don't know why people were pushing back on me about that one because it's a Trump era movie. Absolutely, the fact that it made such a huge impact was because of who's president. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go real quick through the last three. Uh, we don't I don't think we really need to talk about Richard Joel because I think we no. did one of our best episodes yeah. on Richard Joel. Like yeah. we, we talked about that movie for almost two hours. So just go back and listen to that movie. But the last two are Uncut Gems and Parasite. Uncut Gems, um, of course, like that's in the Chapo canon, and Parasite also in the Chapo canon because uh, Felix thinks it's about a haunted house. <laughs> yeah, no, it's about a house that's scary, um, and a lot of people misinterpreted that movie. <laughs> I'm not going to see Parasite. I don't give a shit. <laughs> nah, don't. Do you remember? Yeah, there, yeah one, don't of, one of the greatest. I, I, was, I was stunned because I'd saw it after pe people like lost their shit about it, and I watched, it, and I'm like, "Is this really? This is the movie." It's, okay. it's funny that it's funny that Chrissy Teigen is like this movie's great, <laughs> just well, like I mean, Get Out. Though, sort of just like Get Out, Get Out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no, you're right because it, this was a sensation. It it was an, an international cast, like not English speaking, uh, like you know, not not directed by a white guy, not starring any white people, and then it did win every fucking Oscar. And I think it became kind of another uh, another another good liberal token to collect. But I'm not sure a lot of people, and I saw a lot of people like on the kind of. Because, you know, Bong Joon-ho, like, like is, I, I don't know if he, like, I, th I think he is pretty, like, left-wing in his politics. I know he was, like, very much involved in, like, the student movements of the 90s in Korea to, like, overthrow their military dictatorship. And he's a very, like, I, I love him as a director, and he's a very, like, smart, politically conscious guy. Mm -hmm. But I saw a lot of, like, kind of rose emoji, like, like, sort of socialist Twitter takes also kind of missing the point of Parasite. Yeah. Which is that, like, the, the sort of, like, lower middle class family of, like, like sort of gig economy strivers... There's a rung beneath them, and they're just as bad to the people at the bottom of the house as like the the rich people are to them. Mm -hmm. And it's just about how like that kind of like hierarchy and like class oppression just flows downhill. And just because they are struggling or like economically deprived doesn't necessarily mean that they are, uh, I don't know, just right or like uh, ennobled in some way. Like it's like the same. Uh, pathologies of like um, of capitalism like affects all of us and like if you think that you're like found a way out of it because you're uh, rebelling or you don't you don't like the rich people you have to drive for it doesn't necessarily mean that you are 
you know, uh, a revolutionary or like, like I said, like you've broken out of this like horrible system of oppression. What it usually means is like you find someone lower than you and you're going to step right on their fucking neck the first chance you get. Yeah. I put Parasite on the list, not so much because it's a movie that tells us so much about Trump. Again, like Get Out, it made so much money in the United States. And unlike Get Out, Parasite won all the Oscars that you could give it. And that was a very smarmy evening, actually, when Parasite won. On the one hand, I was happy to see a good movie finally win Best Picture. But on the other hand, people were congratulating themselves for uh, giving Parasite the Oscar. Like, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look what, what we've done. Look at how... We're the real winners when you think of it. I like the people who are like, this is a huge win for representation. It's like, yeah, yeah no Korean ever made movies before this. They famously don't have a film industry over there. Yeah, it's not validated it's, unless the fucking pedophiles in Hollywood give them a yeah. fucking golden naked man. But on the other hand, th there was this great video of that fucking Louder with Crowder guy doing a live feed of Oscar night. And it was so funny when Parasite won because he almost cried. Parasite, not Parasite, not Parasite. Frederico Fellini. And the Oscar goes to Parasite. Oh! No! 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 Come on! No! Why do we do this every year? What? Ah! He was so <laughs> upset. About that Parasite that's, that's dragged across exactly concrete. why everybody was happy to see it win. Is yeah. Because they imagined that it made Steve Crowder cry. Just yeah. pure resentment. No, nothing really relating to the film itself at that point. And that guy probably cries every day. That's he's true. Like I would. If I were Steve Crowder, I'd deeply, be in tears all day long. Yeah, he's deeply in the place where you put your clothes. But you can't find his coat. <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly has trouble finding his coat. So he's in that place where you keep your coat all the time, deeply in there, deep. I know that we're running out of time, but I, I want to just add a couple more. I left um, these movies off the list because I was trying to limit it to movies that say a lot about Trump. But the thing is, there were all these horrible liberal resistance message pictures that were made during the Trump era that we should acknowledge. Jojo Rabbit. Ooh. The, oh, oh man, yeah. I, I, that guy is so fucking annoying. Yeah, the guy who did that. But The Shape of Water and Knives Out. Ooh, are, yeah. Oh, 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 oh. shit. Yeah. Oh. Knives Out was. Knives, Knives Out was okay. Shit. I haven't I, seen I, it. I'm not as I figured on I would be really mad while I was watching it, but I should watch it. But uh, no. The Shape if, of if you, Water is one of the shittiest movies that's ever won. The Death Shape Day. of Water also terrible. Both but, of them, just all the thumbs I've got down. But throughout the Trump era, the Oscars were constantly rewarding movies that were really going to stick it to Trump. And like Shape of yep. Water was the worst of them, I think. We're better than this yeah. man in the you know, White House. This movie's about how we need to love one another. Even, you know, unlike a certain orange Cheeto, that's what, and that, that's what people in Hollywood do is they look, treat others with kindness. Yeah. Love each other. But like the safe of water is one of those deals where it's sort of like that J.D. Pritzker classic tweet where he's like, uh, everybody show trans solidarity. Go in the other sexist bathroom. Yeah. Like, we're going to show we're going to show mega America uh, what it what it means to be tolerant. And by showing a woman, fuck a fish man. You shouldn't fuck fishmen. Like right. you're they, making, you're like, literally making Rick Santorum's point when he said that same-sex marriage is going to lead to people fucking turtles. You gave an Oscar like, to a movie where a guy, woman fucks a fucking turtle man. Yeah, that's also like it's like check this out, trans people. We accept you so much. It's the same as fucking a fish. Yep. Yeah. It's like <laughs> what? What? <laughs> what, dude? There is no way in hell I would watch The Shape of Water. I just knew that I would just. Uh, 
it's smash it's a wall down afterwards. It's quite. It's quite. It's it's got all of that fucking Benicio Benicio uh, Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro. Just he is. A, he directs all of his movies are basically like the sad like a sad cat poster, <laughs> like a big eye just looking at you like oh I'm a cute little creature. You need to be nice to me. It's just it's pure sentiment, and that's what that's what people are are gassed off on on him. What was the movie he made about like the Spanish Civil War? I like that. Oh, Pan's Labyrinth. Labyrinth. And yeah, Devil's like Backbone. Yeah, yeah. Those I like not, him better Pan's in Spanish. Labyrinth is okay, but another movie where its its critical response just to me was seemed like not related to the movie I just watched. Yeah, and it's then, really like, it's really funny when like Aliyah Kazan's granddaughter is like, <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, he wouldn't like if he lived in Franco Spain, like he wouldn't be informing on people all the time. <laughs> Like um, he would, like, there wouldn't be just like a soccer stadium named after him for all the <laughs> <laughs> and then like uh like N- knives out i thought was like uh, okay but like the reaction to it and the fact that the whole movie was just ryan johnson working out his like issues about the fact that like incels didn't like the last jedi yep. yeah and like like the alt-right and shit like that all i can think about knives out now is stavi baby's letterbox review where he was like <laughs> what the fuck is this daniel craig is talking like a slave owner the entire movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ryan Johnson. Uh, the, like, if you're, does he have a wife or? Uh, yeah, like, if you're, if you're that, like, don't let him go on the computer. It's bad for, <laughs> it's bad for him. It's bad for him. Uh, Uncut gems. I think we can. Uh, we'll skip that one. Let's just say go back and listen to our interview with the Softy brother. Yeah. yeah. Before before Great. we wrap up, and before also we wrap just up this- th- just quickly. Uh, the only thing that really that makes me think of that movie in relation to the Trump era is that it's the last movie I saw in a theater before mm-hmm. yep. coronavirus. Yep. So that ending it hits it hits different now. Yeah. And hits it does. Strong. It does. It's a it's a great ending. It's the, it's basically the last like great theater experience I had. The last it any was literally the last I movie I saw in a theater. You I see, uncut gems and we I we we all saw it together and I will always always remember one of my favorite like going to the movies theater experiences. Is that like as the end credits roll to Uncut Gems and that that great like techno song is just bumping and I felt elated and Felix stood up in his seat and said that's the best fucking movie I've seen since a field in England. <laughs> I'll always, <laughs> I'll always remember that. I'll always yeah. remember it well, just because yeah. of how happy Felix was. But I always am so touched by the fact that a field in England is one of Felix's favorite movies. Yeah, it's a great movie. Um, but I like that. I mean, you know how you're talking about how like you shouldn't care about directors' political beliefs. That's unfortunately an anti-gambling movie, and I still love it. <laughs> yeah, it's will... like unfair propaganda about how gambling ruins your life, when in fact that like pretty much never happens. I classified it as a Trump movie, even though it took place in 2012, because it was just I, when I was watching it, I was aware that every single scene was about exploitation. Yeah, yeah. All right, I've I've one more thing before we wrap up movie mindset for today, but I need I need to wait for Matt to come back. So okay, oh yeah, here he is. Yeah, this is important. All right. Uh, so like I said, this is important. I have one last piece of business before we wrap up this movie mindset episode with Jesse Hawkins. And there, there's an issue out there in the world of movies that needs to be addressed. There's something, there's something new coming that heralds, I think, a bold new direction for art and American culture and cinema. I am, of course, referring to Muncher, the new yeah. character we all love. It's Muncher. Yeah, folks, it's Muncher. It's it's Muncher. Muncher. We love Muncher. The kids are crazy. They're they're going crazy for Muncher. They can't wait to get the Muncher it, clothing, the Muncher branded options, the the Muncher Fortnite skin. I, you know, when I saw the picture of Muncher, I realized that it is actually Muncher's world, and we're just living in it. 
Yes, because Muncher is a symbol of uh, of misery. <laughs> you know, um, Godard said that uh, American movies uh, reflect the sick society that they live in. And I agree. When I saw a picture of Muncher, it's like, yeah, America's in huge trouble. Really? I felt the exact He's... opposite. I, f- I, thought, I felt like our, be- our best days are ahead of us. I thought movies I are coming back. Yeah. I, like my heart lifted. My heart lifted because I was like, it's Muncher. It's the new character we've all been waiting for. Yes, he's virtually the same thing as Slimer, but he's blue. He munches no, instead of he's slime. Not just, he's not, the difference isn't it just the color. It's, yes, it's the color. He's That's blue. True. He's depressed. He's miserable. He's yeah. not enjoying himself. And what is he munching? It's corn. Right, because this thing takes place corn. in America's he's heartland. He's making himself sick, stuffing himself with corn. He is us. <laughs> I I famously uh, don't give a shit about the Ghostbusters movies at all. Uh, no, don't care. But how can, this guy's delightful. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I love he looking, is. I love he looking is. at him. He might he I might be able. To, so you him. think Muncher might be able to get you back into the multiplex? No, I'm not seeing <laughs> Ghostbusters movie. But oh, uh, I I will be getting coronavirus to watch Muncher. And yeah. it just when I saw Muncher, like Felix, I felt delighted. I thought like he's delightful. I was like, here's here's a funny new character that we're never going to get tired of seeing. I want a Muncher Origins. I want more Muncher. And I want more Muncher out there. I want a Muncher TV yeah. show. And then actually, now is a good time to announce. Uh, Matt and I have been uh, working on a business. You know, we're doing some business moves. We're making deals. Uh, we're going to do. We've been working with Taylor Mason of Mace Cap, and we have a quant based strategy to bring a blockchain back crypto that's going to really shake up the market. It's called Muncher Coin. That's right. There's a specter haunting Wall Street, the specter of Muncher Coin. Yeah. It's a literal and ghost. Basically, yeah, we'll, we will be trading images of rare munchers and just sort of proliferating them out there, and we'll be making money doing it. And you can make money, too, as well, if you, if you like and share Muncher. Get Muncher, man. Secure the bag with Muncher. If you want to get your bag, if you want to secure the bag, you've got to be like Muncher. You think, I'm on, you think I'm on a Zoom lecture paying attention to school? Fuck that. No, I'm, I'm getting Muncher. I'm doing munching. Now, do you think that 29 years is too long to wait between sequels? Because Ghostbusters 2 was 1989. No, I think it's just the right time for Ghostbusters to come back. Yeah? Um, yeah absolutely. And as, as, long as, they, as long as they keep bringing Muncher, you know, I'll keep seeing these Ghostbusters movies. Do you think that, I'll keep watching that garbage. Do you think that they're going to bring Harold Ramis back as a ghost? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that, that sounds about tasteful enough to happen. I am so afraid of that. I'll just tell you Muncher right now. Muncher is actually Harold Ramis's ghost. He's munching in the afterlife. <laughs> That's true, because something happens to you when you die, according to the Ghostbusters movies. Like, you never really see reanimated corpses. They come back as blobs and shit. Yeah, you, yeah. Yeah, you don't just look like a regular dead person. You know, anyway, get in on that initial the, the IPO offering of ectocoin, ectoplasm. I, it's a new market for, for Munchcoin. I was also impressed that they announced Muncher on like a Thursday, and then on the Friday, they said that they were delaying the release of the movie for another six months. <laughs> that's too long that's to more, wait. That's more months of promotional muncher material <laughs> for us to enjoy. Basically, blue balling us literally. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, muncher is Marxism for the 21st century. Okay? It is. It's true. And like I, the power I, if there's any there's any anti-muncher revisionism on the timeline, it must be Purge it. combated. Yeah. It must be. We must combat anti-muncherism. Yeah, that is what I'm dedicating myself to in 2021. Pretty so good. that does it for uh, this episode. Um, you know, I think we laid out movie mindset pretty good. And I want to thank uh, Jesse Hawkins for joining us. Thank you so much. Please listen and, to my uh, podcast. Jesse. Yes, please. And then uh, Matt Chrisman has made an appearance t- discussing God, Clint Eastwood with you. Yes. 
and uh, I have some other shows lined up. We're doing a episode about the fan, the Tony Scott movie, and we've also got one on Rabid. We got to do Cronenberg. We are a Canadian oh, yeah. podcast after all. No, you said you were doing uh, the Tony Scott's The Fan with David Roth, one of yes. America's greatest sports fans. Yes, if I if I can make this public now, David Roth and I are in talks to do a episode of The Fan. But um, all right, excellent. The podcast. The name is of called, the show and where people can get it. The podcast is called Junk Filter, and it's available wherever your fine podcasts are available. And our Twitter account is Junk Filter Pod. Links having to a that very good time doing the it. show description. Once again, thank you, Jesse. Thank and, you so uh, much. All right. Cheers, guys. Till next time. Bye. 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 Sometimes you're better off dead. There's a gun in your hand that's pointing at your head. You think you're mad. Too unstable. Kicking in chairs and knocking down tables in a restaurant in a West End town. Call the police.